All right, so this, this is the first episode of Coffee and Candidates. So our current episode is for the January 14th, 2020 debate in Des Moines, Iowa. So first, we're going to review our coffee. We are currently at Guillermo's. Is that correct? Yes. Guillermo's, yeah. Guillermo's Gourmet Coffee. It is in Little Rock, Arkansas. Well, I got a large almond milk breve latte. So at first, I drank it, and I was like, oh, this is kind of not good <laughs> but because i'm dumb and i forgot to get flavoring in it which is my fault I just started drinking it more and i was like this is just great it's amazing the beans are really smooth the strong positive rating for me maybe a 10 out of 10. um i also tasted some of clayton's coffee and it's actually not too strong it's just right and you can actually taste like the aftertaste yeah it's so smooth yeah it's really not acid like it's, it's really good but for me i got a iced vanilla latte boy it is so rich and smooth like you can taste the coffee like you can actually taste the coffee and it's actually not just milk plus ice okay so unlike these two i'm not a super big coffee addict <laughs> but um i did get a white chocolate uh, medium white chocolate frappuccino and it was really it was really good it was like sweet and it was I mean, it tasted like your usual, but it did feel a little bit different. It was definitely more smooth, and you can tell that like the beans were nice. And overall, I think it was really, it was a really good experience. And I also tried their coffee. Um, it was they were also really good. I think they, I think the, their coffees highlighted the beans a lot more than the one that I had. But at the same time, they were all really great. Gearmost ten out of ten. <laughs> so what we're gonna do is we're gonna go in the order of the debate topics presented. So first we had. Commander-in-Chief. Personally, I think it's either Joe Biden or Pete because Joe had experience with Obama. Obama. And then while Pete, he had experience in Afghanistan being a naval inspector or something like that. Um, I also have to agree. I think that experience-wise, I think Joe and and Pete probably have the most experience and could be most qualified just like experience wise however legislation that comes along with war and I think some good candidates for that would also be Bernie and Warren um, my biggest worry would just be between uh, Klobuchar and Steyer and it's just that like they are they are less they have less sort of experience when it comes to that but just at the same time I do think that like if we're talking like uh, first-hand war experience I do think that Biden and um, Buttigieg do have a good choice when it comes to that. To really add on that, I feel like Klobuchar focused her response way too much on Trump itself. She was talking about her voting record and then she quickly swayed into just how she would beat Trump, etc. And I feel like from the question standpoint, for me, what I want to see as like a young person is just people directly answering the question. And I feel like she did answer it, but she dodged it all the time to like fill in her other agenda and I feel like because she got to discuss the topics in length detail later in the debate I feel like it should have been more like her actual response rather than going away from the question so the second topic they discussed was war and it was more leaving troops in places like Iran and nuclear weapons from them okay so the issue that I think that that was something that was big for me was that Klobuchar said that you need somebody who's looked at these life and death issues and who's made decisions for these like firsthand and Klobuchar says that this is one of the most important things because she hasn't been like 
while she's done legislation, she hasn't really seen it firsthand, what I thought was very contradicting. If anything, the only person who has truly seen war firsthand would be Pete, if that makes sense. But that was just something that, like, kind of stood out to me in her argument, and I thought that was pretty interesting. So I feel like since the three of us, for our viewers, we are all in AP government, and a big part of our government system is getting congressional approval. And while the president should get approval before he commits acts like these, I feel like as a teenager right now, we don't, and really just the public in general, is that we don't know the full breadth or extent of what's going on in Iran. I feel like a lot of stuff is not being shown to us. And it's been really like iffy, and she said this, he said that, on whether Soleimani was a direct war threat um, or not. And I feel like if Soleimani being assassinated was an act of war, then of course he should have got president's approval. But since we don't know and there's so much conflicting information, it's really hard to judge and make an opinion on it. And for me, this really resembles Kennedy and Vietnam, where he was making military action that Congress was like, you can't do that. And so it was really just this back and forth, and they passed a bunch of laws about it. And I feel like if this conflict continues, then that shouldn't be a problem. Okay, so they also asked about if they wanted to blow troops out of Iran or to keep it in there. And Biden and Klobuchar both agreed that they should keep a little bit of the troops in Iran to deal with ISIS and other terrorist acts there. However, Warren disagreed. She just believed that military combat isn't the answer to everything. I think something that's like really important to think about when it comes to this is that like Warren well, for, for just war in general, everybody wants to keep troops at home if possible, but also the thing is that like, tensions are so high in the Middle East that it'd be difficult to just completely pull out troops in there. And that's also just an issue that comes along with a lot of different things. But just back on the whole congressional approval, just like to be a commander in chief for an act of war and stuff like that, Biden and Obama, when they were in, <laughs> during the Obama administration, they did, there was a question that asked whether they did not ask Congress before they took any military action. and. Biden responded by saying that like every time the use of military force was passed by the Congress, House, and Senate, and then it was signed by the president. And um, I think it was, I think his response was something that kind of dodged it. I mean, he kind of like went around it and said like, oh, well, it, I mean, the issue is, is that the question would not have risen up if it wasn't an issue. And he made it look like it never happened, if that makes sense. So I feel like we're talking about war. We have to talk about teens. If you go on Twitter, <laughs> memes there's so many memes like the it, and they're all about draft dodging they're so funny and i feel like we it's kind of like insensitive like we're just like when you draft the dodge with the homies so it's like <laughs> it's scary but we're using humor as a way to like you know not be scared about it and being like it's gonna be okay it's just in the moment we're all kind of like uh oh. So the current tension between the U.S. and Iran, people are just afraid that World War III will happen. And personally, I don't think it will happen because it'll be really indecisive and immature for countries to go to war again after seeing the consequences following World War One and Two. So I think something was I saw something on Twitter the other day, and it was like this compilation of um, I think I think everybody like kind of consciously agrees that like war is pretty bad like we all don't want to go to war but then i saw this compilation of like um of just like these these like fox news hosts who were um who were talking about places that we should bomb next and it was they were like listing stuff off and the then like the tweet was like why are fox news anchors so angry about it and it's, it's really funny to see the divi 
division when it comes between people on the issue of war and especially the difference between like political parties and like age structure and I think it's really interesting just to like see that contrast. I just think that with teens a lot of days our main focus is like what's happened in our past history. It resembled a lot Archduke Ferdinand getting assassinated and I feel like that was a jumping point for everyone to be like oh like this is what's gonna happen here's why it could like ruin everything and stuff like that all right so let's move on we're gonna move to north korea the question was would the candidates meet with north korea without any preconditions so i think that when it comes to north korea and just going into speaking with uh leaders just in general i think that it is a safe bet to have some sort of like um preconditions but you should also go in with it with like an open mind and willing to compromise like you like with a lot of things it's very difficult to get everything done like when it comes to a um, class debate like you can't always get like you can't always expect the other person to just change their mind and I think that's something that's very important when it comes to talking to other major world leaders and that's something that like you should always go into just like meetings and stuff like this with an open mind but you should also have like internally like what you want to get done like something that you want to push forward and try and get done and there should be like an in-between section when it comes to this like I think no preconditions entirely is a isn't like super isn't like a super great idea but I also think that like being totally set on making being totally set and just being like this has to be it or I'm off the table entirely is a pretty bad idea. Steyard said something about sending staffs to meet with the other country representatives because um, if if a president just goes to meet with a president a leader of another country, things might not go as far as as planned it as planned. So with sending staffs, they can like see how far they can go and get ideas of topics they're going to discuss when they actually meet. And I think that's a really great idea. I agree with that comment about Steyer. I feel like North Korea and the United States are both very strong countries, and North Korea has shown that they're very tough on their policies, and they're not going to be deferred by someone else telling them what to do. I feel like Tom also made a great point about how our meeting has to be with other allies, and if it's not with other allies, we need to have strong preconditions about like what we want to get done, like the rules of like safety, the rules of how long the meeting should be, because I feel like it would be worse for us as a country and for North Korea as well if we both were just like a, like a six-hour like impasse meeting where nothing was done. I feel like there's going to be hard standards and hard consequences, and even if we don't like the deal that we make or we don't like the talk that we have. There needs to be at least something, like just something that's done because the tensions need to be decreased to a level to where we aren't worried about our safety and worried about the next meeting that we're supposed to have. All right, so let's move on. So around this time of the debate, there's not really a clear point when that happened. It's always been there. Um, There was a Bernie versus Warren war. And this has been going on for a while now. One of the biggest moments of the debate, and this is the moment that went viral like everywhere, was Warren's very pro-woman argument that she was one of the only women on the debate stage, that her and Klobuchar had won every election they've been in, and then talked about how she was the only one who had beat an incumbent in the past 30 years. And this led to one of the most awkward and funny moments of the debate, (laughs) when she says this comment, everyone claps, and then like five minutes later, it's like a completely different question, and it goes back to Bernie, and he's like, 
I would just like to say that Warren's wrong. I actually beat an incumbent. And then they both started doing math in their heads. And everyone was like dead silent. It was just crickets. <laughs> and it was so funny and so awkward just seeing them both just kind of like awkwardly there. And Bernie was like, yeah, it was it was less than 30 years ago. And Warren was like, no, it was like exactly 30 years. And he was like, yeah, well, I, I still beat him. And then they just went on. And it was so weird. But this argument has not been limited to just the debate stage. This has been going on for a while. Um, and I think a big overall moment of the debate, it was a comment about how Bernie said that a woman could not win in the election. And it, was, it turned very quickly into a he said, she said thing. And um, Bernie was very clear that he didn't say it, but Warren said that he did. And a viral, a clip that went viral um, quickly on like the news and Twitter was the audio right after the debate when Warren directly goes up to him and it's like, you lied about me on national TV. You called, yeah, you called me a liar on national TV. And that was a big thing for a lot of people. Um, so if you look at social media websites, Bernie's supporters are putting a bunch of like hiss and snake emojis in Warren's comments because Bernie basically controls social media and a lot of people started attacking Warren and saying that she was trying to go down on Bernie and his supporters and lie about him to make her like seem better. It's a very politically tense moment between the two and it's very evident how it's some strategy or some fight going on but it's really unclear what the goal is. It's unclear if it's Warren trying to be like I can be successful or if she's trying to dog down Bernie or if more realistically a lot of people including myself have theorized that something along those lines might have been said but they both misinterpreted what they thought happened in the meeting or whatever and it's turned very quickly into this big debate that has turned out way bigger than it ever should have been. It's very what really stands out about their whole like feud is the fact that those two are definitely have always been kind of like linked together like the two of them have always been like they're kind of like a tag team you know like when it comes to a lot of the democrats whether it be um young or old a lot of them do favor those two a lot and it's funny to see that like two of the two of the very leading candidates um are just like beefing with each other over something that's like that's been running for so long and i think that's something that's very interesting because a lot of because I'll, I'll see like tweets all the time that are like can bernie and warren stop fighting and just be best friends again like <laughs> and i think that's really funny but it's just um those two have like those two have always been like linked together and i think them disagreeing with each other and having this like tense moment really brings out the sort of like political atmosphere that we're currently in so um warren also brought up about how the men on the on the stage they had collectively lost 10 elections while she lost none um personally i don't really like that what she said there because i feel like it's just failure and people can actually learn from the failures and just because how many times you win or how many times you lose it doesn't really define how much you know and we're capable capable of i understand what she's saying like i definitely agree um something that like failure of something doesn't 
doesn't automatically like not qualify you but the same argument could also be made about like experience you know like the thing is is that like when it comes to um, biden his biggest argument is that he has experience like he's done this stuff before but he's also failed so many times like what makes you think that he can be you know like what makes you think that he can be successful this time and i think that's really like it's a very big like balance scale like, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't and like at this point it's the question of like do you think somebody who has more experience but fails pretty often deserves to continue or like do you think somebody else should go in there and try their best even though they haven't had any like as much experience as the first person does so in this next segment of the debate it went very quickly into trade deals like usmca and we are actually going to skip this topic and the reason is because we recognize that there is a lack in failure in our education system today as in where not a big emphasis is enough is placed on economics and economic benefits and causes and consequences and the complex and deep relationships between countries we feel like we feel like as teenagers in our history classes and in things like economics we focus more on the principles of it but we aren't focusing on more how we apply it so if a country initiates this trade deal how is it going to affect the entire economy as a whole teens in in our current political climate today teens are more feeling like they can comment and make informed political responses on more simple issue topics like free healthcare or free college and things like that. And because of this, we're getting more increasingly like into like more like an economic based society to where things need to be really like like a quick like Snapchat story like this, this and this. Like we need to simplify it down. But things like these are so complex and aren't being adequately taught to a point where we can't make an informed opinion on them. Uh, just to build on that, I definitely agree. I think the issue is that like teenagers are getting this, we're getting more education than a lot of the generations before us. So if we don't know basic things about like the USMCA or like we don't know the basic things about NAFTA, what makes everyone else think that they also know stuff about like NAFTA? Like what makes us think that like a lot of the adults in, personally in my life, a lot of the adults that I know did not get the same education that I do. And if I don't know it, what makes you think that they know it? Like a good portion of the audience has no idea what a lot of these legislation and a lot of these like different pieces of just of like trade deals and foreign relation deals and economics we don't know what that is and i think that's a definitely an issue that has to be addressed like whether it be like showing it on screen like what this actually is like what this means or just like figuring or just like expanding this whole like giving this whole understanding because a lot of us do that's why things like tiktok and like instagram stories are only a few seconds because you can only hold our attention for a few seconds and that's just something that's very hard to push in our education system and I think it's very important that we figure out a way to make sure that we know what this stuff means we're like educated voters and we know like we know what every piece of legislation means and we know what that and we're like just America in general knows what the candidates are talking about so building on what Sophia said about how a lot of people do not know what these legislations are about and how it will impact them the people who actually knows them are the ones who will be impacted. For example, corporations or farmers, people who are involved in the process of trading. And personally, I go on Snapchat a lot. I There's this Snapchat story called Now This, and it gives a, a brief overview of just the stuff going on in the U.S. right now. And this dude, I, forgot, I don't know his name, but he's like, he's he gives a really short summary of just the bills, legislations, and just what's everything that's going on and gives you like the issues about it. And it's a really quick way to be informed of what's going on in our country. 
I do agree with both Ying and Sophia, and I feel like they very adequately explain the problem facing our teens right now. But I feel like even if we are facing that problem, what we can understand currently right now as teenagers, because we buy a lot of things and we have to manage, we're starting to manage our money for the first time, is economics. And getting into that, we're going to go into Medicare for All. So Medicare for All on paper is good. I don't think anyone or any teen is saying that Medicare for All is bad. I think that everyone's country can come to an agreement that on paper if money wasn't an issue healthcare should be provided to everyone it should be like a basic thing that everyone has everyone should be cared for if they're sick and they're dying but in our current world today a big problem is how we're going to pay for it so in the debate bernie sanders said a comment that has been very heavily criticized and as us as teens as well it really brings into question this sort of like iffy sense of if it can be accomplished so bernie sanders was said that his medicare for all plan would be the first four percent tax on income exempting the first twenty nine thousand dollars and in our country today twenty nine thousand dollars is not a lot of money and in families that are dealing with poverty this is like what they make and so people that do live in poverty are still going to have to pay for this medical for all plan which is supposed to be helping them um i do know that lots of people will get tax exemptions and get their taxes back for things that they need money on so these same people that need to pay those twenty nine thousand dollars will also be using these tax exemptions to get back their money that they paid the four percent for to our healthcare plan and in addition this is going to cost 40 trillion dollars over 10 years and with the current system and what we as teens know about like basic economics this doesn't really work and it really brings into question the public support that's going to be garnered from this plan as if there has to be an increased heavy focus on paying more and more taxes um, then it really brings into question what we're going to do um, and i feel like another big thing with our candidates today is just these taxes aren't bad but it's the amount of taxes that are being piled on because while on paper this just four percent on the 29,000 looks good you also think about the taxes that they're planning to also do for things like uh, free college and like universal childcare and stuff like that so without a clear like example or table of all these funds added together to make a concrete basis for what their economic plan is going to be it's really just something that's very iffy and is something that I feel like needs to be explained more by the candidates in their economic plan. As um, as, some, as someone who also comes from more of like a lower income sort of uh, situation, there is something that really uh, is really hard to think about when it comes to Medicare, like Medicare and like healthcare just in general. And it's just that like a lot of people that I know haven't been to the doctor because they think that they'll just write out a sickness and then all of a sudden like you're gonna get it's gonna be something bad and you won't even realize it and that's when your bills go up because you're not getting like you can't even get like regular checkups i haven't gone to the doctor in maybe like five years <laughs> because you know my parents and i believe that like i'm not really like i'm not it's just probably just like a regular cold like it does like we can just take care of it ourselves you can just take like um 
OTCs and it'll be fine, you know? Like, it's just, it's this belief that, like, we live in such a system that doesn't know um, just how to, like, it's really hard to just pay for stuff in general. The thing is, is that, like, when it comes to healthcare, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of stuff online that's, like, uh, I lied to go to the doctor. I lied. I felt sick. And so I told my mom that I had a fever. And when she took me to the doctor, like, she, I felt I had a hidden thingy that have I had a hidden, like, health problem that happened to me. And um, I could have died from it. But that's because we don't go to the doctor enough to realize that, like, maybe we do have some sort of, like, situation. And there's just stuff that we can't, we don't even know the answer to. And it's just, like, for a lot of other countries, healthcare is something that is so easily readily available. I mean, there are pe- there's tons of like conversations online that talk about how like people would rather drive to the hospital than take an ambulance. Like <laughs> it's the expense of that is so much that it's kind of ridiculous. I think it was a Billy on the Street segment or it was some other media site and they went on the street and they were like how much do you think an ambulance cost? And they were like, they're like, oh, it's free. And they're like, no, it's twenty five hundred. And they were like, um, yeah, it's twenty five hundred dollars. And I didn't even know that. It's the latest transportation. Like I thought, I'm so. I guess I'm the fool here. I thought that like things like ambulances were like free. Like I thought it was like paid for. And I do know like on things like TikTok, there's a lot of like viral ones. It's like. Like, I've learned medical tips, even though I don't even, you know, do medical stuff. They're, like, always ask for an itemized bill because they'll take off things they charge you for, like a band-aid, stuff like that. It's just kind of weird because I think a lot of people don't know what they're paying for and, like, what they're getting into with the Medicare system. And every time I go to the doctor, it's kind of just a mess. Like, even the ER, like, I remember, I've been to the ER multiple times. That's, <laughs> that's, um, so I busted my head over <laughs> And, um, yeah, I, I was, like, I was literally excited petting my dog. And I, like, stood up and I hit, like, this side of my counter. <laughs> and my head busted open. Anyways, um, and so, yeah, I had to go to the ER. And, like, my whole head was, like, bleeding. I was, like and the girl at the desk was like all right sit over there let me do the paperwork and i just like as a t- as like literally being i think i was like 14 or 15 i don't know i was just kind of like bro i'm literally like dying and they're like time to do paperwork and it's just kind of i don't know i don't know there's so many complex things that go into things like medicare for all and just healthcare in general that it's very very complex and confusing from something like a teen standpoint I lost my social security card and I had to go okay anyways I had to so Ying's also lost his social security card I had to go to the social I had to go I had to go to the social security office I had to wait like an hour just to get like you know and it's like and it's like the government agencies are just like lazy I mean Ying said lazy they're they're overworked and they already have to deal with so much so it's like if everyone was on a government plan either yeah either they would have to completely reform how they handle it or they'd have to do a lot more workers which would add on to the expense so back to the medicare for all thing um i like sophia haven't been to a doctor in years (laughs) um one time in ninth grade i was playing basketball and i busted my mouth open so i went to the er well not an er an urgent healthcare place and so my mom didn't have um health insurance because she doesn't want to pay for it it was hundreds and hundreds of dollars like just for like some weird checkup or something so it's literally a scam and so this medicare for all thingy sounds great 
But the concern is, what's the cost of this? Like Clinton said, it's like forty trillion dollars. How will the how will government fund get forty trillion dollars? And so I'm thinking right now, Trump recently. Well, I'm not sure if the space force was already existed for a long time. But why do we need to put money into a space force? We should put more money into our healthcare, extract from the amount of money we spend on war and combat, and focus on people. So there's this chart on uh, that I saw on like this activism page, and it was like over 50% of the U.S. budget is spent on defense, and like that's just like kind of astonishing because like I understand like military and we have like tensions, but 50% of our budget is going towards defense. Like what happened to being like what happened to like people first? Like what happened to individuals first? You know what I mean? And I think that's really it's. What it's kind of ridiculous, you know. Like、um, the thing, is, the thing is, is that like I also think that the space defense thing is kind of okay. Kind it's of kind of ridiculous. See, okay, so the thing is that like the irony is the fact that I'm trying to be an astronomer when I get older, and so <laughs> I, I like I I love NASA. Like I love the stuff that we're doing, but. The fact that he's putting money into like the space force, but nothing into advancements and innovation, into like innovations and stuff, and、um, it's been fifty something years or something like that since we've gone to the moon, and the next time we're going is supposed to be twenty twenty four, but、uh, NASA's always been like continually like underfunded, and so instead of stuff like. Fighting wars in space, you know, like maybe we should start talking, thinking about like innovation, advancements, and just like taking care of the people. And like a lot of the times, with like especially with students, like we have to fund into, we we should fund the future, you know, like not so much like as over fifty percent on defense, if that makes sense. I'm kind of getting off topic, but like about being more invested in the people, we should also put more money into our education and make our. Future students be more aware of what's what's of what's going on. So, yeah, free college, yeah. And so, also in addition, I saw a, I saw a graphic on Twitter that said three percent of our military budget, or something around that number, could go towards solving world hunger, and like instantly. And so, it really leads me to question like our priorities of our government, and if. If it's as simple as something as like three percent of the military budget can go to something as big as world hunger and is readily talked about, it's like, is there something else going on that we're not being informed about? Like in the defense budget, like where is this money going? Like if we're not currently in a war and it doesn't seem like we're going in one, if the Iran deescalate. But moving on,、um, speaking of Ying and bringing up college, one of the biggest was about Universal. Um, universal college and universal childcare. So universal college has been an issue for what seems like forever. I think it's always been talked about. It's always been discussed. The debate and argument that comes with universal college is directly hand in hand with like things like universal healthcare. A big argument against things like universal healthcare and childcare is. Not only the monetary payment of trying to fund it, but also at what point it should be offered to everyone. A lot of people are saying that free college for everyone should not be a thing because that means like millionaires and billionaires and the high-class people could also go to college for free, and they would take away the benefits from poor people that need to go for free. It would inflate college rates, which is a whole other discussion that we're going to get to. But and it's very, if we put it in perspective. 
this also mirrors the debate of things like Medicare for all, how it looks like a good idea on paper, but when we actually apply it to the real world, a lot of things come into question. So there was a statistic that Sophia brought up a while ago that childcare is more expensive than college in uh, half the states, and that's not good. Like that kind of blows my mind that caring for your child costs more than college, and there definitely needs to be something done about that to fix it because college is something that's like so vital and important and childcare is as well and if caring for an infant is more than getting a four-year college education that's just not right bernie sanders said in the debate that childcare workers are making wages lower than mcdonald's workers and that we need to fundamentally change the priorities in america which i do agree with um, it also brings into question a lot of countries currently right now do have a universal, high-quality, affordable childcare and healthcare for free. And this has been a very strong argument for the Democratic Party, how comparing ourselves to other countries. And this other country debate has also mirrored things such as our gun policies in America, which wasn't discussed at all in the debate, which we'll get to, which was in Warren's closing statement. But how people compare, like, oh, other countries don't have any gun deaths, but how does America have it? And I feel like with things like, I feel like with universal health care and really just universal college, it's deep-rooted and stemmed in our culture and our traditional values that have been emerged for years. I feel like it's a structural problem and a systematic problem that has existed for generations. And with the American emphasis and American value that people have to go to college instead of like things like trade school, whatever, it's created this very massive problem that kids don't know how they're going to pay for it and how they're going to get this education. And a big argument that me and Sophia discussed in speculation was the admissions process if everyone is going to college for free and if everyone is guaranteed access to it how are admissions going to be affected because if everyone can go to college for free colleges are beginning to become incredibly like overcrowded with people trying to get in which is going to toughen the admissions process which we have seen in tougher admission processes it indirectly disadvantages the poor because of application fees and things like clubs needing money to get into and if we have such high standards for every single college then are the benefits going to even go to the people that need them the most so columbia university has a college application question that asks what your favorite observation your favorite theater production your favorite like uh your like your favorite thing that you've seen this year like your favorite museum your favorite exhibition that you've been to and they ask like how that's affected you and the biggest thing about that is that what if you've never gone to those different exhibitions like what if you've never been able to afford going to those exhibitions you know the thing is that uh, Marissa Veradaran, a college professor at uh, USC, I think, um, or no, UC Berkeley, that's right. She talked, she's helping this uh, the student who had like an over 4.0 GPA, and she's lived like, she's lived in this area of sort of like more uh, like extreme poverty. And when she was asked if she, and if she, when she was applying to this, um, when she was applying to Columbia, she had this, she had this question asker, and you know, um, Marissa had asked her, you know, like, what your, what was, what's like a pastime you can do in your city? And she, and the girl was like, I don't know, drugs? Because, like, the thing is that, like, there's so many people who live in this, like, 
underrepresented sort of like section um, of the country and they don't get to have like all of these uh, political opportunities or like these economic opportunities and the thing that's very important about this is the fact that um, I've always wanted to join Key Club and um, I have time for Key Club and I have time to like I can get enough hours for Key Club and stuff like that but I have never been able to join Key Club because Key Club requires a $20 fee and that is on top of uh, like an NHS fee that's also $20 uh, that's on top of um, at least $20 for each tournament for a speech and debate and then like some to and then like money for food and um, club fees stack up a lot like a lot of clubs require like $20, $25 and that stuff and if you're in more than one club that's already like $40, $60, $80. If you're in five clubs that's $100 that you're paying just to stay in a club and um, the argument that brings up with this is the fact that there, while there are students who like if you have two students who have the same, uh, the same GPA, the same test scores, the same um, you know like the same abilities basically the same statistics but one of them is in more clubs than the other one but like the one with more clubs is able to like it looks like they're more involved in their community it looks like that they're a better representative to be at a college but colleges will not see that like they they'll probably see that the second student only has like maybe like one or two clubs and that they're like continuously in and they're obviously going to vote for they're obviously going to choose the kid that has you know the more clubs on their resume well but it doesn't mean that the second kid is not as good like it doesn't mean that the second student is you know unable to be qualifiable for clubs or community service you know it just shows that like Baradaran said that Professor Baradaran said that if there was a system to keep poor kids out the college admissions process is it, and that's something that's very important to realize. So, Sophia talked about how she wasn't able to join Key Club because of the fees. Um, although I do make my own money, but like for the past three years of high school, um, I wanted to join FBLA, but I just didn't really have the money for that because I was already in a lot of clubs and just year, these yearly fees and I couldn't afford it and I had to pay for ACT tests and sending scores and college applications. I don't have the money for that and um, I'm actually interested in pursuing in business in college and I really wanted to join FBLA for experience but I wasn't able to do that. While also other kids in the country who's applying for business or economics, they have, they're in FBLA. FBLA sounds like a really fun club, and I'm disappointed that I missed out on that because of a club fee. And so for speaking with about universal college, like free, free college tuition, it will, open, it will open a lot of opportunities to so many people out there. The thing is, um, with so many people going to college, everyone's gonna have the same degree. So basically like, a degree inflation so like a bachelor's degree won't be like special anymore since everyone has it. it's like everyone has a high school diploma or most people have high school diploma and it doesn't really make us unique anymore and to make us more unique we we're gonna have to pursue a higher degree like masters or doctors and just spend more time to make us more, money, like- more time and more money yeah Graduate schools are expensive. Yeah. So speaking about Ying and business, I so my brother goes to U of A, um, University of North South Fayetteville, and that is considered the best public college in Arkansas, I would say. And when I went there, um, so I'm interested in maybe pursuing business and computer science, 
And I did see in their orientation book, if you're not accepted into business and computer science as one of your majors that you apply to college with, you have to wait to go into it. And you have to take like this placement test thing or something like that to even get into these two careers. So if we're already facing this oversaturation and like very popular careers, it also brings into question like the value of a degree. And if we're going to be entrapping kids in a process that is unfair to them and really brings into question like the value of a degree in general um because i know recently there's been a huge push for things like mechanical degrees where people said oh if you go to trade school for two years you can get your degree for free and then you'll make more than anyone with a bachelor degree so our next one is climate crisis and ying and sophia are both in ap environmental science yes and they have lots to say about things like fracking so Okay, so um, fracking in itself is something that's like a way to get, what is it, natural gas? Fossil fuel, like extract like fossil fuels and use them for sort of like innovation and stuff. And it was the first thing that we ever talked about in apes. And um, Klobuchar is the only candidate to sort of like not put an end to fracking. And what's very interesting about fracking is the fact that it takes so much water to to just get stuff out, you know? Uh, Fracking is something that like, it uses like fresh water and um globally we only have what like three percent of three percent of all of the water on earth is fresh water and about like one percent is accessible and while well, the other two percent is locked up in like glaciers and stuff like that and the a key issue about that is the fact that if we if um that number is probably going to be declining anyway since as glaciers melt and a lot of them are usually like in the ocean and stuff like that as glaciers melt all of that fresh water gets released and it's going to be released into the ocean and then it's no longer fresh water at that point it would just be salt water and it would be like hard to use and um of course we'd have to have more energy to and to do things like reverse osmosis um just to make sure that our water is clean and like our water is something that we can use and stuff like that and i think that's just it's a very big issue when it comes to just like climate change and especially with somebody who's like a good representative of like gen z is greta thunberg like everyone knows greta thunberg like she um she's quite possible she's incredible i mean she really highlights the issue of how our generation views especially like teenagers how we view you know the climate crisis i mean this girl is what like 15 16 and she doesn't even go to school like she's she's giving up her education in order to further the fact that climate change is a situation that we have to address and that's just something that's very very important was warren the one that was like banned fracking i think they, they all were except for culture okay so most of the candidates they were against fracking and what really stood out to me was that Warren kept blaming the climate crisis on these huge corporations like Chevron, like, I think it's like oil corporation. And I do agree with that because like, dude, oil makes you a big bank, bro. And the U.S. oil memes. <laughs> so like, so, so like Sophia said, fracking it gives you like these fossil fuels for energy that lights up our house, our 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 cars, but. Um, fracking it actually has like, lots of cons to it. Like um, you need you need you need fossil fuels to drive the truck that carries the water, and then you need to freaking dig down into the earth, crack open the freaking ground, and then the methane and all the greenhouse gases that is released, it's only gonna make our climate 
wor worse, yeah, environment worse. It pollutes water. Yeah, so it, it, yes, it also pollutes water. And there's this instance where this this woman lived beside this oil company, and her water was so polluted and contaminated by the chemical waste um, that her water her water coming out of her faucet what were lit on, lit on fire yes and so like the u.s had also placed more legislation and regulations on these huge corporations and companies and factories about the waste because their waste also actually contributes a lot to the pollution and global warming and they need to work in a more sustainable way in a more energy efficient way. In this current campaign, Tom Steyer has been the main proponent for climate change. That's really his big thing in his campaign, the central crisis of him. And I feel like he had one of the strongest responses. He talked about for 12 years he's been fighting the climate crisis. He's beat oil companies in terms of clean air laws. He stopped fossil fuel plants in Oxford, California, and he's fought things like the Keystone Pipeline. And I feel like for teens in our country, Tom Steyer is the strongest proponent of climate change, of fighting it. And I feel like that really came into um, observation when Pete Buttigieg brought up relocation of businesses. And it really brought into questions of was this long term? And Steyer brought up how this is an example of managed retreat. And it's saying that we're going to move everything because it's out of control and it's unbelievably expensive. And of course, this one's again brought into is this plan realistic? And we need to have, instead of moving businesses around everywhere, we need to have concrete examples so that businesses can stay where they are and stay in places like America and keep growing. And I feel like a big win for people watching the debate was that he was saying he was going to declare a state of emergency on day one on climate. I have a close friend who was also watching the debate and she was like that comment is what kind of made her night because she is a big proponent for our climate and it's really it's really what teens care about we're my it's Brooklyn and um we just feel like as teenagers our climate is something that we really need to focus on and that if we don't we're going to be at a disadvantage because it's going to affect us in 50 years in the future and we I feel like people are gravitating more towards young people in the democratic debate because we want people um, to represent us in government if it is a democratic candidate that's younger and has even though they might have less experience they're very like forward future thinking and I feel like that's why a lot of people are supporting Bernie right now as he has the experience but he also has the heart and mindset of a young person to where even though he won't be alive for crises that are going to affect us in like 50 60 years then that's why teens are so strong towards him today and so right after this point they brought up trump really quickly how they were each candidate was going to beat him which has been talked about many multiple times and they finally got to their closing statements so closing statements i feel like are some of the most important moments of the debate and they're not focused on enough we feel like bernie and Buttigieg had the strongest closing remarks so for me bernie really brought up his entire history and he brought up everything he's trying to do which in that closing statement it really concluded everything he was trying to working for everything that he stands for as a person and that was really good and i feel like pete Buttigieg really focused on just in capturing what the democratic party is trying to do right now how they feel like 
the things they want to change and the mindset in this country they want to work on and improve to create this sort of like hope and this this idea that instead of looking at things like the Dow Jones that these effects are really going to go into the homes of people and people are going to personally see the effects of how climate change is starting to lessen. The um, closing statements are very important to your argument and stuff like that. And as somebody who's been in like speech and debate, you know, you have to have like a good conclusion to like wrap up like your argument. Um, so I think that they each did a, I mean, each of them did a very different job. And you know, like I, I definitely agree. Um, Bernie and Buttigieg had very strong closing statements. They talked about things that like sort of wrapped up their campaign and like wrapped up like um, very well, just like this that they did um and i think each candidate does a pretty fair job talking about that warren she brings up good points you know like the debates can only be like two hours or so and you can't get everything done you can't talk about everything done in two hours and she makes a really good point talking about how you know there's so many topics that we missed out talking talking about there's so many different topics that like haven't been discussed it's it's very important you know like she talked about like trans women being at risk black infant mortality climate change and uh student loan debt farmers who are barely hanging on and people struggling with like mental illness and she makes very good points and the same goes for Pete and Bernie. An issue that I did see a little bit though was with Biden and with Klobuchar. Their closing statements was about Trump. A lot of it was about Trump and that's something that as like a closing statement I personally believe that your closing statement should talk about just like the importance of your campaign and um, if the importance of your campaign is talking about beating Trump then like cool go for it but also at the same time you know like you have to fully address like what you're here for what you're doing and um i think that's just something that i thought was a pretty big weakness when it came to their closing statements which is why i think that bernie Buttigieg, and warren did a much better job with their closing statements than really did klobuchar and biden so I'm not sure how I feel about Steyer's closing statement. He brought up his past about playing sports and how playing sports is big about teams and teammates and relationships between them. And then so he brings this teammate thing to America having to unite and work together and that how a baseball player or a sports person athlete should not kick another athlete in the face. So basically he says that he's comparing the bully here to Donald Trump kicking the Americans in the face, which I'm not gonna bring in my political opinions. But he says that as president, he will not be that one player who kicks others in the face and that he will create a good, just a team relationship with the citizens. I'm not sure how sports can correlate with the United <laughs> States, but I get his point, be united. All right, and after that, the debate was closed. The iconic Bernie v. Warren <laughs> argument happened and then we went on so looking forward the big thing to look forward to is the Iowa caucus so next episode we plan to have results from a poll we are publishing we are publishing this poll to see what teens and people at our high school support each candidate and we're going to directly compare that with the Iowa caucus. So the next debate is shoehorned in between the Iowa and New Hampshire caucuses. So that will be very, very interesting to see who wins the Iowa caucus. We're going to discuss that in heavy detail and really the results of our poll and see to really see what candidates that teens are really gearing towards and how that relates to what modern adults are thinking and to see if 
we are both teens and adults are united on the candidate they want to support, or if there is a divide growing and how we can change and look to improve it as people. So for today's podcast, I think it was very, we had a good time. It was good. This coffee is great. Good time. Finally it was finished. good time. We finally finished. And um, but basically, thank you for listening to our coffee and candidates. Uh, we hope to hear you. We hope you guys tune in next time and that we can, you know, just have a good discussion. Maybe it won't be as long as today's since we covered a lot of like, you know, just everybody's political. We set the tone for all of our personal opinions and stuff like that. And I think we'll have a good time. So really excited to see where this goes. Thank you so much for tuning in, and next time we will start by diving into our new coffee choices and the results of our polls. Thank you for joining in on Coffee and Candidates. (laughs) Tune in next time. We hope to hear you again.